Welcome into Heat Check, February 22nd. It is Monday. We had a big time weekend of college basketball. Oh, yeah, baby. We are back in person doing a podcast from the same room, not the same hallway of a Cronkite hey Bay. Hey, now look at us. Look, look at, at us. us. Here we are. Literally, look at us. You can see us. Um, so we we let's start with what happened on Sunday, and then we'll kind of backtrack and go to Saturday, because I think... The talk, uh, at least on Twitter, was that it was the best college basketball game of the year. Peyton, I texted you and said, I think this is a great sign for people who just got done watching football. They're just casually getting into college basketball and to see a game in which shots were being made. Shots yeah. were being made in a college basketball game. What Boy, does that mean? Um, and what were your takeaways from Michigan-Ohio State, the game basketball version? So, okay, this to dispel that rumor that it was the best game, um, of the season, I think that clearly given the two numbers next to the, the teams, like when you see this one on ESPN Classic, I think it will matter more if you didn't know anything about what happened at the end of the season based on like what I think is going to happen at the end of the season, which is Ohio State was a really hot team that hadn't lost in a while. Hence, they moved up the rankings to number four because other teams did loss or lose and they didn't. Um, and they were ranked the number four team in the country, when in reality, I think Michigan is a better basketball team than they are, right? And I think that will bear out. In March, hopefully, you know, I don't look like an absolute idiot in the Wayback Machine because of that take, but that's, that is kind of my opinion. That said, um, I think the magnitude of this game was a little bit amplified by the two numbers next to the team's names, when I do think Oklahoma and West Virginia in Morgantown was probably a better game. I will probably remember it as a better game, especially because of how it finished. This game, <laughs> I know that uh, Justice Suing is a guy that really frustrated you. So before I give any analysis on that, I, I feel like you should have a little bit of a therapy se- session with the camera well, and the microphone right now. Well, okay, so I had, I may or may not have had Ohio State on the money line and uh, sprinkle. Sprinkled, and that was after a tough Sunday morning watching some really ugly tennis at the Australian Open. Um, neither here nor there. That does not matter. It was a three-point game. The behind-the-back pass seemed extremely unnecessary, um, in my opinion, I think in most Ohio State fans' opinion. Um, but to go to your point, mm-hmm. because it, it frustrated me. It didn't frustrate me that, that much. And I think most of the like game of the year talk was in the first half. As the second half continued, as the game got kind of... A little, it was a little more Michigan sided. It was not as back and forth necessarily, especially in the last five minutes. I think Michigan led the entire five minutes uh, to close the game. Yeah, um, Ohio State threatened several times, but after the the justice suing mistake, it kind of rolled into Michigan being up five or six as opposed to one or two. Yeah, so so that happens, and I would say for we've we've been relatively. Uh, We've noted how much Iowa has struggled defending. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they are not the greatest defensive team. They're pretty average in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency metric. Well, after this week, as of now, as of right now, this recording at roughly noon uh, Arizona time, one, 1 o'clock Arizona time on Monday afternoon, Ohio State sits as the 86th ranked defensive efficiency team in the country. Iowa sits at 74. 
And Iowa's the best offensive team in the country, and Ohio State is the third best, according to metrics. So there's really nothing other than just, as oh, we say— Ohio State beat them also other a, than, in Carver-Hawkeye, but okay. Okay. Continue. Proceed. I'm just saying, over the course of the year, and if we're talking about Big Ten matchups, if we're talking about um, the fact that both of them lost at the barn remarkably, so did Michigan— <laughs> that that will not be something that I think that uh, we forget as we go on with the year, just how incredible it was that Minnesota beat all three of those teams at home and can't win a road game. Um, but I think Ohio State is kind of a product of, like we said with Texas Tech, winning a bunch of games at the right time and winning the correct games to get ranked that highly. And then mm. now their losses are not going to penalize them that right. much. And I think that they're probably a really strong two. I don't think that they're a one seed. I would agree with that. I think that... I, I would even back off of really strong, too. I think this team hangs out around the 7th, 8th, maybe even on to the, the three line being the ninth or 10th best team in the country. That's my opinion. Well, the, the problem with it is, like, where do you fill out the two? So, uh, yeah, if we're, if we're going to have – we should have this conversation first. Let's talk about Michigan because they are mm-hmm. pretty clearly, at least I think that the general consensus yeah. after Sunday is, the third best team in the country um, – some people are saying they're pushing the conversation with Gonzaga and Baylor. I am not some people. I don't think that they're in the conversation with Gonzaga and Baylor to be the number one overall seed or jockeying for the position. And I know Baylor's number one in the heat check poll. Gonzaga's number one in the AP poll. And every week it seems like Baylor's getting more AP poll votes yep. but as, at number one. But they're not. Despite not playing. Also very interesting. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Baylor's now played five fewer games than Gonzaga. Um, they've played the same amount of games as Michigan. Michigan has that one loss. Baylor does not. Um, we'll see how Baylor comes off this COVID pause. But where do you see Michigan going from here? Well, I think honestly, um, when you do look at it, Michigan in this game, for everything that we've just talked about with Ohio State, Michigan in this game continues to prove exactly how good they kind of are, I think. Um they just go out. They can play really any style of basketball. They've got a center in Hunter Dickinson that, I mean, he kind of won me over in this game. He did. He used to be this big, plotting big man. I think he maybe is starting to play himself into a little better shape, personally. I mean, Michigan fans who watch this team more closely than me probably will be able to inform you better about the progressive fitness of Hunter Dickinson. But... He looked athletic. He looked mean. He showed an edge that I don't think I've seen from him consistently throughout the year. He reminded me a lot of Alex Len. Not college Maryland, I'm dominating. I'm a Terrapin Alex Len, but NBA Alex Len, where he's just this really slow guy, but he is also seven foot one and it's just bigger than you. No, the footwork was incredible from Dickinson. He was amazing in this game, and they can do that. They can bang it down low. They can go get the easy buckets with him. He's got such soft touch, but they've also got so many guys on the perimeter that are just kind of dudes that occupy that dog quotient when we talk about the Shondi Browns when we talk about Smith when we talk about um, some of their other perimeter players and then you've got a guy like Livers who can just they're a complete basketball team they're a really deep basketball team I didn't even talk about Franz Wagner who I think there is a pretty decent chance he is their best basketball player at least from an NBA profile standpoint I think that this is becoming pretty clear that Michigan is closer to Baylor and Gonzaga then the field, although I don't think that they are in the pantheon with Gonzaga and Baylor. Yeah, and, and so over the last couple of weeks, I've I've been saying it's been interesting to see 
where Michigan goes in comparison to, and it's been interesting to see, um, three through 20 could be the same teams on a different nightly basis based on who plays well. Three through 25, you can make the case. I think now it's that four through 20. It's the four through 25 range because I think Michigan's pretty clearly three, even though I think there's still a drop off from Baylor to Michigan um, or Gonzaga to Michigan, depending on who you ask. With that being said, um, as the Big Ten race shapes up, as they have, as I'm looking at it right now, three, four, five, seven, and 13 at Wisconsin, which we don't really believe that much in. Right. But, but with with uh, Michigan, Iowa, Illinois, those are three through five. Um, and then Ohio State sitting at seven. What In what order do you stack the Big Ten power rankings? And does who you think is the best team now change based on what happened yesterday? And does who you think is best now change by the time we are talking about this in late March? Yeah, I think it taught me a lot about how vulnerable Ohio State's defense could be, especially against elite bigs. Because they're running E.J. Liddell out there, who's a thick fellow, um, got some girth to him. He's strong, but he's also not really a true center. He's a 6'9", stretch forward. And something that I did like that Ohio State did a little bit at the end of the game, and I wish they had done more earlier, was... Whenever you're playing against that seven-footer, and it will be true whenever they play against Luca Garza because there's I mean, there's just not going to be a place to hide him against a team that plays with a bunch of guys who can shoot from the perimeter because Kyle Young can contribute that as well. Get him the ball on the, on the wing, clear out, and let him drive because he can do that. And I think that that can be a weapon for them, but defensively there's just not going to be an answer for them. They're a team without a true rim protector in a league with the best bigs in the nation. Um, so you asked the question, where do I kind of seed the teams in the Big Ten in terms of my my trust in them? I think it's Michigan, full stop. Illinois. I think I think Illinois is closer to Michigan than you're giving them credit to. You whispered that. Say it with your full chest. I think, I think Illinois is the best Big Ten tournament team. Like, once wow. they get to the tournament, I think that well, they've got Illinois Iowa. goes far. Yeah. They've got Iowa and Michigan doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll give you that. I think Illinois as a team, obviously, is not nearly as complete as Michigan is. But Trent Frazier, what he's giving them right now, um, it's been phenomenal to watch him play at this level, a guy that I've kind of had some expectations for. I, I stated it preseason. I said their season goes where he goes because he's what can make them an elite team. And they got stuff out of Miller and Curbelo early on that made you believe that they may not need Frazier, but he stepped up into a big role, especially defensively. Especially defensively. And I don't I don't see it personally. I mean, we're gonna these teams are going to clash. They are going to see each other. And we will get a very good read at that point. Um I I, I think Illinois is firmly number two for me, personally. Um and then I think there's a little bit of a drop off, not nearly as big as the margin as I perceive between Michigan and Illinois. Illinois serves as that bridge then to the rest. Ohio State and Iowa, I think, occupy that next tier. And then the tier after that are all the, the tournament teams that have been ranked somewhere between 25 and 15 throughout the course of this year. I'm talking about Rutgers. I'm talking about um, Purdue. I'm talking about the second tier, second class citizens of this conference that really I don't see have having any upside as a team that could run to the Final Four. Right. Yeah. The, all the teams that I named, as much as I despise Iowa, all the teams that I just gave off are teams that I could see playing in Indianapolis. In uh, they're playing the Final Four 
in Lucas Oil, right? So mm-hmm. I could see them in Lucas Oil playing those games um, on a national stage on CBS. It, Nance on the call, the whole thing. I could see that. I can envision that in my head. I don't think I can see that with anybody else in the league, and I definitely think I see it more with Michigan and Illinois than the other two. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm fascinated to see. We'll talk about it on Thursday, um, what we think might happen, um, and we'll give game picks for it, um, at least on Twitter, yeah. for Iowa-Ohio State, which is next Sunday. And, and I'm, th- I'm thinking we're going to see a lot of matchup zone from yeah. Iowa against Ohio State. Um, uh, yeah. Can I make one last yeah, observation sure. about Michigan? What I love about Michigan so much, and I think it's true for Baylor, and I think it's true for Gonzaga, when you look around the country, there are some very talented teams, and there are some very deep teams. I think Tennessee is a prime example of this, where on paper they look really good, they look really complete. What I love about Michigan is everybody on that team is a capable player and can step up in a big moment if they have to, but everybody knows their role, they fill their role, they do their job, and it's consistent. There aren't games where guys just are doing things where it's like, what are you doing? I guess Isaiah Livers has moments because he's a heat check guy, but they need him to be their heat check guy. Mm-hmm. Shout out. That's quality branding. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I just think Michigan, to me, consistently is proving that they are the third best team in the country, mm-hmm. which is something that I don't think we saw coming into the year. And Jawan Howard deserves to win National Coach of the Year. Yeah, I, I would say Sunday was the proof of that, and we'll see – who kind of vies for that final number one seed. I don't know if it'll be Illinois. I don't know if it'll be maybe Iowa. I don't know if it'll be... I would think the contenders for it, Alabama, Villanova, maybe a late, late run from Florida State um, could make it, but we'll see. Let's talk about the Big 12. There was a couple really interesting results from Saturday, and I think that they they tie into um, a big-time matchup in Austin on Tuesday night. So we'll we'll talk about first what happened in Austin on Saturday. West Virginia mm-hmm. goes in. Texas is making threes all afternoon long. They get up by 19. West Virginia says, we're going to do the same thing that we did to Oklahoma State. We're going to come back. The Sean, exact same thing. The literal exact same thing. 19-point road comeback. This time, no fans. There were actually some fans in Stillwater, so I guess I don't know which one you view as more impressive. What surprises you most? Is it Greg Brown going zero points in 24 minutes? Is it um, the late shots that Texas got, good looks that they just missed? Or is it McNeil and McBride just doing whatever's necessary to win again? Dude, I this game, I, so I didn't get to see this one live. I, I rewatched this this morning in full. I didn't even watch the condensed game. I watched the full game. Texas early on, you're approaching halftime and you're about to I think they passed 50 points in the first half. Yeah, they were at 53 points on 52% shooting at half. It's just incredible. And the pace played into their, their play style, and, and Courtney Ramey's putting up career numbers, and Coleman's doing his job. And like you said, Greg Brown, it was weird. I, I, I want to see him get more aggressive, and I don't know. It's starting to become kind of a um, two trains heading towards each other on the train tracks at the same time, which maybe is a good parable for this entire team in this game because – I mean, Fran Fraschilla let us know that the blow-up that happened on the sideline between Andrew Jones and um, Courtney Ramey was a reason that Texas lost, and I don't know if I buy into that. But uh, when you talk about Greg Brown, it's like, where does he fit? Because he was getting his shots early on when everything was rolling, and now he's starting to kind of curl back up into his shell a little bit. I think he needs to be more aggressive for Texas to be at their best. Digressing. Credit to West Virginia. Uh, Texas was making shots, and then all of a sudden – 
West Virginia was on a 13-2 run and the, the gap was closed and they didn't look back from there. I think that West Virginia at this point, though, has a track record that is starting to become hard to dismiss. And I don't know where Kenneth ranks them in terms of luck rating. They're actually, they're actually, they actually have a negative luck rating. So they are, they've, that has changed because a couple weeks ago it was up there. Um, and now it's just kind of their true result. Yeah. They keep doing it. And at some point you have to, as we said throughout the course of the show this year, at some point, especially this year, you have to consider patterns as trends that matter that you can interpret. And West Virginia is the toughest team as said by John Rothstein. Tougher than a weekend at your in-laws. I don't believe that anymore. They're not tough the same way they used to be, but mentally they never are out of a game. They're like they're. It's weird because they've flipped. They are offensively elite. They're a top ten offensive right. efficiency team. They are sixty seventh in defense efficiency. They are the Big 12's Iowa. They are the Big 12's Ohio State. They profile as almost the exact same team as those teams, and even though they have these resume wins and and they've beaten good Big 12 teams. They've also lost to a couple. I mean, I would say that they're... They've beaten more than they've lost to, and that's the Yeah, and that's the impressive part. And with that being said, I think that... I I fluctuate week to week on who's the second best team in the Big 12. I fluctuate who's the third best team. I think at this moment in time, Texas is the fifth best team. Texas Tech is probably sixth. I think they're the second best team. They're playing like the fifth best team right now. And like, you can't separate the two. So at this moment, so, yes, they are the fifth best team. So, and I, I sent this tweet to you um, because it was interesting to me. Texas, I don't know how, like, Texas is a confusing team because they are first in the Big 12 in rebounds, first in shots, first in threes, and they're top three in points, field goal percentage, and three-point percentage. They also have all the tools to be great defensively, but they just are not that. They were early. They, they were early on. Yeah, but right now they're 32nd defense efficiency, and you have all these athletes. So I don't want to say, like, I don't know. I've been and maybe it's I've been holding it off, but it feels like Shaka has – it's one of those situations where the good teams, the good coaches, they get better as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. Texas is getting worse, and that doesn't – it shouldn't – and it doesn't make sense to me, but it seems to be the way things are going. I, I will say, we'll see what happens on Tuesday night. I would. Uh, Andrew Jones said that they're going to be fine. That the it was just a miscommunication about defense. They got mad at each other. They're past it. We'll see. Yeah. But if they're angry and they come out with a vengeance and they beat Kansas on Tuesday night, we'll be saying, "Oh, they're fine." Then you'll probably be coming in on, in on Thursday and be saying. They're the second best team in the Big Twelve again. Like they're right. play, they're playing like it. Um, if they lose to Kansas on Tuesday night, which spoiler alert for game picks, I'm picking Kansas. You're picking Texas. I think it might be full blown panic time for Texas. Yeah, I think uh, we're there. Uh, they this 13 to two run happened over the course of five minutes, but it really hit accelerate at about the 11 minute mark. Where you look at the the play by play for this game, it was 62 to 70 at 11:01. Sean McNeil makes a jumper, okay? It was 60-70 to 70 before that at the 11:04 mark. Sean McNeil makes a jump shot to make it an eight-point game. And then over the course of the next, check this out, less than three minutes, it is 71-74. to 74. And, and West Virginia was just rolling from there. And for Texas, I mean, people saying that the blow-up was a thing. Like, the little, like, spat that happened between Andrew Jones and, and Courtney Ramey or whatever, um, that happened... 
prior to this, and Texas's offense was fine for a while. Yeah, it was uh, in the first half. So I thought when Fran Fraschilla was doing that game, he's just like all oh, his competitors being competitors. And then he like flipped his tune three minutes later when it was conven- convenient, four or five minutes later, and West Virginia starts to make a run. And it's like, well, ever since this happened, no. I don't think that had a huge part of it. But it is hard to ignore something like that happening when then it is followed by a collapse like this. And I, I, I don't know. Maybe I should rephrase. And I'll pose a question to you. Do you view this as a collapse from Texas or a comeback by West Virginia? And do you think, to a greater point, kind of the flip the question you asked to me, is this indicative, if it was a collapse, of what's going on with Texas post-COVID pause? Or is it just a spot on the radar? No, like... Because all this has happened after their COVID pause. Can I say it's both? Like, Yeah, sure. They didn't shoot the ball well. They didn't get great offense. They turned the ball over multiple times down the stretch. But they also got a great look for the win drawn up by shock out of the timeout and probably should have made it rattled in and out. They had a corner three that rattled in and out that would have given them the lead earlier yeah. in the last minute of the, of the game. West, I mean, West, Cole, yeah. West Matt Coleman was at the line with two free throws, an 80 plus percent free throw shooter before that. Yeah. With under a minute to tie the game and he missed the front end of a one and one. Yeah. So that I would say is a choke, but at the same time, West Virginia is just going down and making a bunch of shots. And sometimes it's just about offensive execution. One team made shots, the other team yeah. didn't. But you have to be more mentally tough than giving up. And I would say this for Oklahoma State a couple weeks ago. You have to be more mentally tough than giving up a 19-point home lead. In that, especially when it's yeah. that quickly given away. Yeah. And Texas struggled at home. I don't. I was watching this game. I don't remember what the timeout situation was, but if you're Shaka, you've got to do something to stop the run quicker than just allowing it to dissipate in mm-hmm. a minute or two. Let me let me ask you this. Two teams right now with six losses that had high entering conference play expectations. Iowa and Texas. Which one do you prefer? Iowa. Honestly, uh, I'm Texas right or die. I, I picked them to go to the final four. Yeah, now I know. Bump, so I ha- I'm kind of tethered to them. But I just I this is this all went downhill right when they they had the Texas Tech loss. They get beat at the buzzer by Mac McClung, who was wearing Jordans in that game. It still doesn't make sense. I've still not gotten an explanation. Somebody explained it to me. It was weird. But after that, they play Kansas State. COVID pause. Shaka gets it. Some other players get it. They're out for a while. They only missed two games on their schedule. But then after that, Oklahoma lost by one when they were very shorthanded. Kentucky games get gets canceled. You lose to Baylor. That happens. Yeah. Kind of blown out. Lost at Oklahoma State. Barely beaten Kansas State. Handled TCU and then the loss to West Virginia. So I think there's a discernible change in this team after their COVID pause. And I don't think that can be at this point denied. Yeah. And I would say I know what I'm getting from Iowa. Like they're going to score a bunch. They'll probably, right. they're going to give up a ton. But they also, the thing with Iowa is their offensive consistency forces teams. There is pressure on other teams yeah. to score with them. And not everyone can do that. Whereas I don't really think that Texas pressures you in any on the offensive end or on the defensive end. I don't think that they make teams 
uncomfortable anymore, which is weird because they completely, completely, they completely swallowed Indiana in the Maui and stuff. And that, that was so long ago, but let's talk about the team that they're going to play on Tuesday night. Let's talk about Kansas. Um, they beat Texas tech on Saturday, 67, 61, only turned the ball over six times total in the game. Yeah. Probably the most important, the most impressive given the circumstances, given the opponent game of David McCormick's career, 17 points, 70% shooting, eight rebounds, two assists, zero turnovers. Jalen Wilson goes for 11 and 11. Christian Brown hits three up three with 30 seconds left in the game mm-hmm. to seal it. Um, Kansas. I said this to you a couple weeks ago. I was not worried about their defense. They're number one in two point field goal defense in the big 12 makes it all the more impressive given that Baylor is in that conference. Are you back in on the Jayhawks? Because they are yep. now up to 17 in the AP poll this week, and they're up to, I believe, 15 in the heat check poll. Yeah, so uh, it cuts both ways, right? When a team is performing at a high level like Ohio State on a long run, I mean, you have a good month practically is what we're talking about. You buy in a little bit more just because, well, they've not lost in a long time. When I dropped Kansas out of the poll, it was, I and I stated this very clearly. Yep, you did. It was just about the nature of the slump. You just can't justify leaving a team in that conversation, given them losing, what was it, four from five and five from seven? It was four of six, I believe. Four of six. Uh, You just can't do that, especially when most of them are consecutively. It's not like it was very well spaced out. So that said, Kansas was on the road for most of those games. The only one of those games they lost at home was when Texas bombed them from deep. They've been at home for all of these. Pretty much. I mean, you looked at me and said, well, they beat Kansas, Kansas State, State and Iowa, Iowa State, State on, on the road. road. And yeah. I turned to you and said, yeah, they beat Kansas State and Iowa State on the road. So this is going to be a massive test. And this will be a massive litmus, litmus test for me in terms of where I think Kansas kind of is at this point. Because we've seen teams be good at home and not good on the road. And that's that's fine. I mean, I know without fans, that's a different thing. But if they're able to go get this, this win, I, I will say that that is... And maybe this is a bad way of looking at it, but I would say that this is a noticeable and sustainable change because they're playing pretty much the same way, aside from David McCormick just kind of stepping up a little bit more. Well, I would say defensively, and if, if you have an athletic subscription, and I would I would suggest that you, you read it because there's so much great stuff out there, but C.J. Moore wrote a great piece about just how upset Jalen Wilson got um, on missing a box out Marcus Santos Silver, I think it might have been Micah Peavy, grabs an offensive rebound, scores. Jalen Wilson gets audibly upset at himself at, with 2,500 oh, people. There's more commitment. There's more buy-in. And the guys who were getting exposed in the pick and roll and teams were picking on, Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown, something happened in the last two weeks that, that Bill Self flipped a switch in them and said, you guys are the weak links on defense, and there's no weak link anymore. They're they're yeah. The criticism I've always had for Christian Brown is that he's not the fleetest of foot in terms of foot speed, in terms of moving right. the, moving defensively laterally, and yeah. that has gotten better this in the last couple of weeks. Jalen Wilson, eleven points, eleven rebounds. He's a great rebounder for his size oh, and yeah. for his energy and his effort. Oh, yeah. He makes up for the lack of of. Uh, Size. I'm interested to see what happens with Texas because their longer bigs are the bigs that David McCormick typically struggles with. Uh-huh. But at the same time, 
he usually struggled with them because he was taking poor shots. Right. He's actually getting to great spots now, and that's why his effective field goal percentage has skyrocketed in the month of February and gotten so much better. So I think that this team's getting a lot better. I think that the rotation um, yeah, is, clear. is getting a lot better. Bryce Thompson coming back from his hand injury Big. is good. They The report that I read this, to, this morning was that he was going to take the baseball glove off of his hand, which is a great sign for him. Um, but let's talk about Texas Tech because I had some thoughts on this that I was just I was confused watching this game. Uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. only plays 15 minutes. Mac McClung was relatively inefficient. Um, they no one scored more than 13 points in this game. They shot 33 percent from the three, 42 percent overall. They didn't turn the ball over very much either. They only turned the ball over nine times. But it felt like they couldn't get going. McClung four of 13, two of six from three not getting great shots, not getting the shots they wanted. Was it more about bad offensive execution for Texas Tech, or did you think that it was just a product of Kansas playing great defense? I mean, think back to it, though. When these two teams got together in Lubbock, Texas Tech struggled offensively like they seldom have this year as well. So I think there is something to uh, them being a team that's in the scale of the Big 12 a little bit smaller. Santos Silva is not a, a big center. Right, David McCormick can have a little bit more of his way inside because he's not as worried about him. I, I think the thing with David McCormick that will be interesting for me to see against Texas will be whether or not he can step out and guard guys like Kai Jones and Greg Brown who can pick and then pop and hit a shot and whether or not he's comfortable there. But he could sit back and wait with Texas Tech. And like you said, and I think this is a big part, actually, this might be the tangible reason why teams were hitting so many threes against KU is when that pick and roll is there, defense is much more likely to help from the wings, to try and consolidate around the paint and jump inside to make a play. And that's when you get the dribble drive guy kicking it to the corner for open shots, which felt like it was happening to Kansas a ton over that stretch where they were giving up a ton of threes. They can take away the pick and roll. The defensive makeup of this team personnel-wise should be one of the best in the country. With the guys that have so much length on this team, with Christian Brown, with Garrett, with Akbaji, when you've got the athleticism they have, when you've got the defensive coaching they have, they should be an elite defensive team. So I think they kind of put some some spackle, so to speak, over the massive hole in their defense, and they're rolling now. So I think it does have much more to do with Kansas than Texas Tech. I, I do want to take this victory lap in terms of the Kansas defense. Sure. because go for it. Because since the West Virginia game, which is when you, you said it's not a matter of... of uh, It's not a matter of Kansas playing... or It's not a matter of teams just making shots. It's that Kansas is playing poor perimeter defense. And I continually pounded the table over the Zoom calls and said, this is a matter of three-point regression and it's inevitable. West Virginia... I said it was inevitable. West Virginia shot 52% in that game. Tennessee shot 61% from three when right. Kansas played them. Since the West Virginia game, Oklahoma State, 26.9%. Iowa State, 20%. Iowa State, 36%. Kansas State, 12%. Uh, Texas Tech, 33%. Mm-hmm. You can say Iowa State is not great. You can say Kansas State is not great. I would say that the defense against Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, who I will I will criticize them, but I will hold stock because I think that they're a second weekend March yep. team. That is my, I will continue, like, my, my opinion on Texas Tech has not changed throughout the year. I'm holding my Chris Beard stock and selling my Texas stock. But hmm. the Kansas defense 
it's just a matter of college basketball. And I texted you this while we were watching Michigan yeah. State on sure. State yesterday. It did happen. I can't confirm. Guys miss open shots, especially in college when instead of their job being go practice jump shooting all day, like NBA guys, their you job to go is to zooms. go do your macrobiology test. Yeah. Go do your macroeconomics test. And when that's the case, sometimes guys are going to miss open threes. Sometimes they're going to go Eve's Ponds. And go two for two, even though he's a twenty percent three point shooter. Yeah, that's just the the nature of college basketball, and that's the way it's gone. See, I think it's a little bit less fluky than that. Like I said, you pointed out the the pick and roll defense improving, and I think that's a discernible, tangible change that's accounted for this. Because I can never put my thumb on why this was happening in Kansas, and maybe that's why I was so much more privy to commit to saying it's not a fluke because I couldn't find any reasonable explanation for them. They seem to have fixed the problem. We'll see if it. Keeps that way. They get Texas this week and Baylor this week. And I'm, I'm interested because there aren't dominant big. You have been asking the question all week of whether or not David McCormick is the best big in the Big 12. And while that seems like a ludicrous thing to say, there just aren't bigs in the it's, Big 12. It's him or Derek Culver. Right. So Because all the Texas guys are like stretch bigs. What I'll They're say, fours. Right, exactly. What I'll say is that I'm interested to see what this Kansas – because they could get you to buy in – throughout the Big 12 run here at the end and come up against a team from the Big 10 with a true center, that could maybe cause some problems. I don't know. But I definitely am backed into a corner here a little bit based on things I had said, things I'm about to say, but I think I'm back in on Kansas. Okay, let's round this conversation out and then we'll continue talking about a different blue blood that's kind of... Kind of maybe, maybe figuring Duke things is out. back. Uh, but let's round this thing out with... What's your major? As of as of this moment, February 22nd, 1.29 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona time, I want to go rapid fire. What seed does every top seven Big 12 team Okay, have? and I've not looked at the bracket since this weekend, so this is just going to be just throwing like, random numbers yeah, out that sound is, good. This is, okay, Baylor. Baylor's the, the first overall seed, most okay. likely. Uh, they'll probably be the second overall seed. Because people are going to hold on to Gonzaga, yeah. yes. So Baylor's a one. Uh, let's go West Virginia. I think uh, they're a three. Three or four. Uh, I'll go with a four. I think okay. they'll, they'll lose another game. Oklahoma. Having not looked at their schedule, I'm doing a really bad job of just rapidly responding. I'm trying to wait. Out. I'd say a four. Whoa, I think their resume might get them to a two line. I just think they're going to lose again. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, I think it depends on whether or not they make up that Texas game. Texas. <laughs> My heart says two. My brain says four or five. My brain says four or five as well. Um, Kansas. I think they get a three. I get, okay. I was going to say four. I think, they, I think they'll get a four because I think that the national people, for some reason, forgot like the Creighton win at the start of the year. Yeah. And everything else. Which I'm not sure how good that actually is in retrospective, but hey, it's there. I mean, they, they scheduled a non-con. They should probably be rewarded for that a little bit too, and they played well yeah. in the non-conference. Uh, let me just say this one last thing about Kansas. I said three just then. That would only happen if they beat Texas, I think. Or, or go to the Big, big run Championship in Kansas City. Game. Yeah. So I picked Texas in this game that they're about to play. That was with my heart as well. I, I think Kansas probably will win based on the, the way Texas is playing right now. But, hook them. Texas Tech and Oklahoma State rounded things out. Oklahoma State will be a high seven seed. Okay. And you said Texas Tech? 
will be a low five or a high six, okay. which is that's a spicy take. I just don't. Texas Tech had their surge. They're not playing that well right now. Kansas has a significantly better resume when you actually look at it. Did they have their surge? I mean, they were. Uh, I'm pulling it up right now because I I don't remember. Their, they also had a bunch of close losses in that little run that made you think that they were better than they were. You and Dom Stern love to cite close losses. Texas no, Tech I'm, is I'm, two I'm, and six I'm against doing the opposite. I'm doing the opposite. Okay. I'm saying that in that run of games, those close losses had you believe that maybe that they just got a little bit unlucky, but when they okay. start to pile up, that's a trend. Again, this is all about discerning randomness from trends. Yeah. Okay, so there's, there's how we go. Um, let's talk about another Blue Blood. Um, doesn't look like Kentucky's going to make the tournament, even though... Although, I mean, Tennessee would not have known if you hadn't told them the record before the game on Saturday. The Kentucky team that played on Saturday is a tournament-level team. Yeah. A Kentucky team that's resume-wise all year is Again, not great coaching job this year from Cal. They've consistently gotten better throughout the year. I don't know if I'd call it great. I didn't know if they were going to win double-digit games. I mean, they... Back in, back in December. Yeah, we'll see. They still might not uh, because they've got... I think two more regular season games left. It's not yeah. very many. I think this is almost our. I mean, we we got two weeks left. We have brackets. We have brackets. <laughs> shout out Nick Sh- Hodel. Shout out to the Horizon League. Um. All right, let's talk about Duke because Saturday night they beat Virginia, sixty-five, sixty-four. Mm-hmm. Incredibly, Virginia had fifty-four points from Kihei Clark, Sam Hauser, Jay Huff. Everyone else combined for eleven, and those eleven only came from two guys. They. Virginia struggles mightily offensively. They struggle mightily against teams with elite athleticism. We saw that on Monday night when they played Florida State. A bad week for Virginia. A good week for Duke. Even though they lost Jalen Johnson, they win two games. They look better. I will say my opinion on the matter, they look like a more competent team. They look like a team that knows what they are now. They do not. They obviously have a significantly lower ceiling without a top 10 pick on their roster. But I think this version of Duke, if it sustains the next two weeks, the level of play that they've had this past week, is a tournament team. Do you agree? I mean, we'll see what they do. Uh, they, they won two in a row. They've gotten me to buy in a couple times throughout the year, right? And then they've turned around and they've lost to Miami and Notre Dame. Yeah. So, uh, again, there's a discernible change. Jalen Johnson left the team. They are playing better. Those could be true, true, and unrelated, but at least could be an explanation when you're looking at their last three games, which they've all won, and they've looked way more definitive in the wins over not great teams in the league than they had prior, right? By blowing out Wake Forest when they struggled with them the last time, when they blew out NC State, right? And then they beat Virginia. They've got Syracuse tonight. That game is Goliath for both teams to try and make the tournament. They've got them at home. They get that one, I'm in. But this stretch is not easy. No, All four of these yeah. teams are like battling to make the tournament. This is pretty desperate, hungry teams that they're going to come up against. The old adage is you never want to – a cornered animal is the most dangerous it can be. And you talk about teams like Syracuse, Louisville. I, Louisville's not in the bubble yet, but if they lost to Duke, I mean, we're having a discussion at least, right? They're probably just above the last four in. But on some graphics. Yeah. At Georgia Tech, who's fighting for their lives. And the Tobacco Road rematch at North Carolina, who also probably will be battling for their lives. So if they win all four of these, I think they're in safely. 
one of those teams that it could get hairy if they lose the first game of their conference tournament, but they're probably in. I think for them to really have a claim, they need to go three and one. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, they're right now. If they play like they played on Saturday, they're a tournament team. Yeah, the problem is they're ten and eight overall. They're eight and six in ACC play in a not strong ACC league this year. Um, even though Josh Pastner today, shout out, shout out, good guy Josh Pastner, um, said that the ACC deserves eleven bids and it's the best conference in America. So his head is firmly buried in the sand. Um, this is the same guy who brought a pinata shaped like a COVID molecule and just started beating it in front of his team. So this I mean, is true. Not all the screws might be uh, tightened as tightly as you might like. Where do you go to college? Arizona. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. So here's the thing: if Duke goes three and one, if they get to thirteen and nine, and then if they go to thirteen nine and they lose the first game of the ACC tournament, they're probably not in because they're next four out, according to mm-hmm. Palm, according to Lenardi, according to Mike DeCourcy, um, who does it for Sporting News and stuff. Those brackets all are saying they're in a precarious position right now, where they have to work themselves back in rather than keep themselves in. They are so, also Duke. They're also, yeah, they are also Duke. I honestly, just for the laughter and the memes, I know that it's not being played in Dayton this year, but I, I kind of want to see coach K in a first four. Yeah, I see it. Like I, mean, I <laughs> we don't see Duke go to the first four. Here's the, here's the other counter argument too, right? In a normal year. And they can say this doesn't matter as much as they want the cows come home. All evidence supports that the NCAA is going to do what they need to do to make the most return on investment, the most revenue that they can. They're never going to sacrifice money in a decision. I'm not, if that has happened, I've yet to see the choice that they've made that reflects that. In a normal year, that would mean gate revenue from one of the biggest fan bases in the country and making sure Duke was in the field if there was a question about it. This year, that isn't part of the calculus. So I wonder if that matters. Because even if they went 2-2 two and two in a normal season, I would bet that they would be in based on the resume. Duke's just getting into the tournament if there's any way that if the door is even an inch open, cracked open, Duke's going to find a way to get through it. But it's not that year. It's not a normal year. It is a weird year. Yeah. And they don't have to worry about that gate revenue. That's, so I, I wonder. And, and I would just say... As we, we can transition into bubble talk, but I want to first talk about a team that is also on the bubble and get to pros and cons. But with Duke, the last thing I will say, if Indiana is on the bubble, if Minnesota is on the bubble, and those two teams are uh, both... I mean, we're, I'm trying to find the Big Ten standings. Indiana's 12-10, and 10, Minnesota's 13-10. and 10. Comparable resumes. But not, but not comparable because Minnesota has wins over Ohio State, Iowa, and Duke Michigan. and Indiana. Oh, okay. Well, Indiana has two wins over Iowa. What is Duke? What is who is Duke? A win beat? over Virginia, which I mean, you look, Virginia's best win is Clemson. So maybe which is they, why I would argue maybe they ain't that good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm. I'm just saying. I think that if if it comes down to low teens and wins against t- a ten loss team. I think that the Big Ten teams both get in over Duke, and, and that's why Coach K is really going to need an ACC tournament run. But uh, to go to another bubble team, let's oh. get to pros and cons. Oh, I want to hear your talk. Uh, I 
freaked you out a little bit on Saturday when James Booknight uh, hurt his elbow. You were calling a water polo match in Tempe, and I texted you, uh, James Booknight looks like he's hurt. He, it was a false alarm. It looked like maybe a funny bone was hit uh, when he fell off of uh, a jump shot. He finished with 21 points, 10 rebounds. I'm doing way too much of the work for you for pros and cons, but uh, yes. update the people on your pros, your cons for your favorite bubble team in America. I mean, I'm looking real hard for pros. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. Uh, pro, UConn women's basketball. Now ranked number one in the country. That's the list. I mean, this this was not an exciting or an inspiring showing from them. They were tough in the first half, but I was watching the second half of this game, really the last eight or nine minutes, because that's what I was able to. And at no point, I, I said to myself, with about seven minutes left in the game, there is no way in which UConn can get enough offense to win this game. Villanova would just have to lose it. And it felt that way. And I understand it was at Nova. Nova's a good team. Um, but this is the, the growing pains of a team that is really in a position that not a lot of teams in the country are, in which they've not really been at full health the entire season, and they've not had a lot of games to figure out who they are. So there are going to be some ups and downs. And I, I, I think that you saw Book Knight forcing it just a little bit, whereas it was great team basketball against Providence in his first game back. Everybody was involved. They were playing off Book Knight. Felt like James said, I, I got to do this against Nova at the end of the game, which meant nobody else was really hitting shots. And, and No Jer- one was hitting shots. Yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was making stuff hard on the inside. And we know this. Uh, UConn's inside presence without a cook, a cook really healthy is vulnerable to an extent. They're a tough team. They rebound hard as a group, but it's a lot of wing-type guys. And Book Knight, I think, finished the game on a streak in which he hit one of his last 10 shots, and that's just not going to get it done. So there was not enough offense. And these are all cons, if that was not obvious. I can tell. Um, There just was not enough supporting offense um, around it. And I guess here's a pro. RJ Cole's playing better, which that's somewhat of a win. They're going to need him. Sweet. Sick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tyler Polly, where were you? Uh, Adama Sanogo, Isaiah Whaley, uh, Andre Jackson. I was. I think you should play more, but that's besides the point as well. Like, just guys just didn't step up. And UConn's half court offense is not good enough to beat defensive teams of the caliber of Villanova. They have to get out and run. They have to, and that's when they're at their best. And it's a Hurley coach team. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I mean the the pace of the game was really good at the start. It seemed like it was going to move quickly and be high scoring. And then Villanova made it a a half court game at like the 10 minute mark of the first half. And from there, UConn just looked completely disoriented and was disappointing to see um, who do they have remaining on their schedule? Because their finishing schedule is at Georgetown, which I mean, they should should win. win. But Georgetown has beaten some folks this year, so maybe not as easy as you might think. Marquette, who's all but out of the tournament discussion, at Seton Hall, two teams that are going to be both probably sweating it out on Selection Sunday to an extent, and then Georgetown at home. And now we know uh, what UConn's got in front of it. We also know that UConn in the garden is a thing. Is a thing, and they've not been there in a while, and they're back. Yeah, ten and six, fourth in the Big East. I can't. It would be wild for the fourth team in the Big East to to not make the NCAA tournament, but it could. 
very down year for the fellas in the Big East this well, year. And it's every time one of the teams from the middle tier starts to work their way up, they get it's like crabs in a barrel. And then they one of them getting dragged back down by the other bad teams in the league, like St. John's. I was all ready to to purchase uh, all the stonks on St. John's with Champagny. Posh Alexander playing at the level they had been. They beat Villanova. They beat Creighton. They beat UConn. They were balling out, right? And then they lost on Saturday at home to DePaul. Like, what is going on? I don't know. It's just been it's been a really strange league the entire year. Um, and I, I firmly do believe that UConn is the second or third best team in the league when they're fully healthy. I just don't know if they've got enough runway to get there before the conference tournament and really lock in and mesh at this point. Like, it just, Book Knight's injury derailed them and the COVID pauses and everything that's happened has made it impossible for them to play their best basketball. And I'm curious to see if they can get to that threshold. Yeah. Um, last thing before we get to bubble talk, I completely forgot to get to this. Arizona beat USC. It was mm. basically Arizona's championship game for this year since... They're not going to Vegas. They're not going to Vegas. They're not going to... I think it was their... They got two games left this week uh, against Washington and Washington State, so they'll they'll win those. They will finish the year at seventeen and eight if they do that. Um, I think Arizona is going to be really good next year, uh, whether you like it or not. Tabellus impresses me. I think Akinjo uh, mm-hmm. is going to be back. Um, Dale and Terry should get better. They're going to be a good team. But does does USC losing to Arizona? scare you at all for the tournament hopes and for the first-team All-American case for Evan Mobley? I think Evan Mobley is locked as a first-team All-American unless Hunter Dickinson or somebody just makes an absolute run, right? Like, he's just been too good. Yeah. Um, their their tournament hopes, I think it comes down to seeding. Again, USC is not a team that I see having the upside of making it to an Elite Eight or something. Whoa. I just don't think they have enough guard scoring. Like, Edie's fine. But I just don't think, unless, you know, he enters takeover mode, Mobley does, and is getting like five blocks, ten rebounds, eight assists. He's their leading playmaker, Gabe. He is a center. Kind of scary. Is that a problem to you at all? Yeah, so like, I, I think USC's been impressive. I don't think the rest of the league's that impressive. I think Oregon's better than them. I think that'll bear out this week when they play. Bear out literally tonight. Yeah. Um, they're 18-4. and four. I don't. It's weird because they beat Arizona by 14 in Tucson. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. And Arizona's been a little bit erratic, to be fair, as well. So, USC has Oregon tonight. They have Colorado at Colorado on the 25th at Utah. So, the mountain road trip is tough, and then they close the year with UCLA. If they go three— They could tumble. Fast. They could tumble. They also could go three and one and really boost themselves. I think that just based on the national perspective and perception of the Pac-12, USC's ceiling is like a four seed, and that's if they— reel off these games and then win the Pac-12 tournament mm-hmm. like I think that they should because I think that they're the best team in the conference. Um, but you are correct. Their guard scoring, their guard play ma- playmaking is their issue and they need they need good playmaking by Ethan Anderson to yeah, go along absolutely. with e- to go along with Edie, go along with they have some real tools that they can Use Isaiah and Evan as playmaking bigs. Like the versatility is there, the pieces are there. I don't know if Andy Enfield is a good enough coach to get it to all gel and work the way it should and get four straight wins or five straight wins um, through the Pac 12 tournament mm-hmm. and into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So that's where we're at with that. 
fascinating game tonight. Oregon and USC. You're taking Oregon. I'm taking USC. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. We will learn. USC is one of the few teams where we still have tons to learn because three of the best teams in Oregon, Colorado, UCLA, they're playing in the last two weeks. And one of those games, um, or two of those games, are actually on the road. So lots to still learn about USC. Lots to still learn about the Pac-12. Um, I think that that's it's. We should do top five Thursday, um, one of the next two weeks, and rank conference tournaments we're most intrigued for. Okay, and I love why? That. That's a good idea. Look at us making progress on the show. Yeah, because I'm very intrigued by this Pac-12 tournament. I think that there's a lot of teams that we think are good, and there's a lot of teams that we think should be good that aren't. Yeah, I just think I, 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 Oregon keeps scraping by people ever since they've gotten uh, Duarte and Will Richardson back. I mean, they blew out ASU, sure. They've now won, let's count it, uh, on my hands, one, two, three, four, five games in a row, and they've won all but one, two of those games. The last three have been won by less than four points. And the two um, that they blew out were Washington and ASU. Yeah, so. which, yeah, good for you. They're at USC tonight, like you said. I think that will determine who is the best team in this league. Quietly, Oregon's 14-4. and four. And they'd have more wins if they had gotten all their games. And their losses can be easily explained by people not being available who are available now. Every, the nation sleeps on Oregon. I do not. You do not. I mean, neither does my phone because I'm blown up by your, your text every time. The Oregon District starts. of Duarte. So we'll see what happens tonight. Um, let's roll through some bubble talk. I'm just going to look through Lenardi's bracket. He's got last four buys, Indiana, Xavier, Drake, North Carolina. Okay, before we move on, hold on. I, okay. Something occurred to okay. me. What are the odds, Mr. Vegas man, that Oregon ends up a higher seed than USC? As it currently sits, Oregon is a 9, USC is a 5, according to Joey Brackets. Could flip the national again as Oregon, the the nation is infatuated by win streaks. So if this little win streak stretches to, and they've got at USC, at Stanford, a very desperate Stanford team, especially after that triple overtime loss, at Pullman against Washington State, their last four are at USC, at Stanford, at Cal, at Oregon State, all winnable. Oregon State, a little bit scary to me, just because Oregon State's had a propensity to just beat teams that they shouldn't this year. They should win all four of those games. But if they win other all four than other games, than USC, they should win the other three. And if they beat USC, that's a nine-game winning streak nine headed into streak. the Pac-12 tournament. Heading into the Pac-12 tournament, I could see Oregon on like the four or five line. Four is a little high. If they end up as a four-loss team, they're zero and zero against teams that have ranked records. At the time, they lost, and they lost to Missouri, of teams that have been ranked. So USC is a good, a good little. Uh, USC is their first game. ranked opponent of the year. That's nuts. It is February 22nd, and Oregon hasn't played a ranked opponent. Yeah, they've just missed people. I mean, the, both UCLA games got postponed. They, they played teams like Stanford and Colorado when they weren't ranked. It just kind of fell that way. It's wild. It is wild. If they get to a four and they're 1-0 against ranked teams and it's at USC, I'd be shocked. But if they if they go to nine straight wins and then they win three in a row at the Pac-12 tournament, they're going to be... A high seed, especially because Dana Altman has a track record in March. Yeah, I mean, they if they do what we just laid out, they'd be twenty-one and four on a twelve-game winning streak heading into the tournament. So we'll see. I 
just be clear, I don't think that that happens. Yeah. I think you're leaning toward it happening more. What than do you think I the am. chances are that they flip seed line with USC that they end up with a higher seed? Fifty percent chance. They got to beat them twice. They got to beat them. They got to beat them tonight, and they got to beat them in the Pac-12 tournament. The men of Oregon quote Bill Walton: "Quack, quack." Yeah. So there we are with that. Um, going along the bubble, even more. Um, North Carolina is the last four by. I don't really see that. I think that they're especially if they beat Marquette tomorrow night in that uh, you up scheduling situation. <laughs> um, they should be good. Last four in Maryland, Minnesota, St. Bonaventure, Stanford. I don't really know how we're going to put a team in the NCAA tournament in Minnesota that has not won a road game and their road splits are home road splits are the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It's like 10 points per game fewer. They're shooting like 15% worse on the road. Like the barn is magical, but it's also lost its magic because they lost by 30 to Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. I think what what was the number? It was the highest number of points that an opponent had scored at the barn in like 30 years, like since 1981. I think in a non-overtime game too. Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the Pac-12 is riddling like just so many teams between. How many teams in the Pac-12 are on the bubble? So you've got Stanford as last four in because ASU is firmly done now. Unless they just uh, win the Pac-12 no, there's tournament. There's no world in which they win um, enough games and are not at large. There's just no world. It, it can't happen. No, I mean it could have happened if they win that game against Being USC and UCLA. UCLA yeah, and then they, but it didn't. I'm still expecting them to win all three games at home this weekend, but um, that would only get them to 10 and 11, and then they got to go win the Pac-12 tournament. They have yeah. to win the Pac-12 tournament, but if they do that, um, USC is a five, Colorado's a seven. And this is Lenardi? This is Lenardi. Uh, Oregon is a nine. Stanford is last four in. Um, I'm just reading through the bracket. This is very great very great content Stanford 11 um, we have brackets UCLA is a 9 so everyone is between wow they've fallen I, they've had a tough run of it lately but they've fallen all the way to the 9 line yeah I mean they should be better but they don't have Chris Smith so it's it's honestly yeah. forgivable um, we'll see the bracket that extra spot by the Ivy League we're ve- we're quickly approaching um People saying the bubble is weak, but the bubble is weak. Part of the reason the bubble is weak is just that teams have not played enough games that we think there's yeah. a lot of teams that... And it's been harder for mid-major teams to bolster their resumes because they had they don't have the volume of wins. Yeah, like 22-1 and one from Belmont looks a lot less impressive than 30-1. and one. Exactly. Although Belmont, Belmont legitimately is, is like a very good team and should be... Uh, a team that gets in even if they don't win their conference tournament, I think. Yeah. Same um, thing with Loyola, but I think those are the only two like traditional low to whoa. mid-major teams that have any argument at this point, right? Like Bellarmine is, I mean, they can't go to the tournament anyway. So never mind. Disregard that. Joe has Belmont as a 12. I think that I'd have them higher. I think we've got them ranked in the HC poll or no. just missed being yeah. ranked. They were the first team left off, I believe. So... I mean, yeah. Uh, let's not get into deep. Di- I guess Belmont's a bubble team theoretically if they don't win their conference tournament. It's happened to them before. What do you think about the A10, the Pay10 teams? Because it is an absolute mess. Does that league get two or no? I mean, St. Louis has that win over LSU, but their first four out right now, they've just, just sucked in A10. They've play. just tumbled. 
Um, let me pull up their Another standings. team that came off a pause and just didn't get up off the canvas. Oddly. Um, St. Bonaventure's in first place. VCU's in first place. Davidson is 6-3, and three, but they've only played 17 games. 0-1 against a ranked ranked opponents. Richmond has that win over uh, Kentucky, but it doesn't look very impressive anymore. Dayton does weird stuff. I don't know. It does weird stuff. Love it. I, I mean, they probably get two. I don't know who the you, two are. You, I think it's a one-bid league, which is incredible Whoa. because I think they're better than that as a league, but there's just been too much parity. Normal year, this is like a three-bid league? I think so. Because the pauses have derailed Richmond and St. Louis badly. I yeah. feel like that's a fact. I'm conjecturing, but I feel in my heart of hearts that that's a fact. Yeah, the only two teams in that league that have played 20 games are 10 and 13 Rhode Island and 16 and 5 VCU. And that's Rhode why Island I think played VCU's everybody's in. games for them. So you can't play? We'll play. Yeah. Roll the balls out. Let's go. Remarkable stuff. I mean, they played for Baylor against ASU in that first game of the year, and it's been the same thing since. Um, Yeah, I think VCU's probably their... I think VCU will win the conference tournament. I don't know why I'm even saying that, because that conference tournament's going to make zero sense. We're probably going to get, like, LaSalle's going to win the conference tournament. Would not be Fordham, just stepping up. Mike Breen, you. One and nine in conference play, two and 14 total St. Joe's. I can see it. George Washington make a run. Duke Duquez. Duquesne. 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 Uh shout out Trevor. Um man, they're only seven and seven total. They're they, the AT, hold on, sorry. I just I wanted to look they always the play tournament. That's this is gonna be fun. Man. Kevin Durant in attendance. We're so close to March Madness. You think some... Obi Toppin will be there? No. To they're, support Jalen Crutcher? They're not a there's not going to be fans there. He's not a fan. He's Obi Toppin. It doesn't matter. They're not allowing random people in. Oh, let's get to scholarships and sanctions to close this thing out. Uh, it's gone. I think we've gone relatively long on this one. Um, that's what happens when we're back in person. We can just kind of ramble. Scholarships. Um, shout out our boy Nick Hodel. Brackets are my scholarship. We do have brackets. Um <laughs> The what what tournaments get going this week? Horizon League and the, the bracket in question was a Horizon League bracket. Okay. I can't confirm. That's uh, what are we what are we looking at for the Horizon League? The right state is the favorite. They're eighteen and five. Cleveland Who's State in the Horizon League. IUPUI is in the Horizon League. Let's go, Uwe Pui. The Norse Northern Kentucky. Uh, we got Purdue Fort Wayne. We got Robert Morris. Shout out that time that they beat Kentucky in the NIT. Is there any other team in the NCAA that has a Western and Northern school in the highest level of college basketball, like Northern and Western Kentucky? Because there's no Northern Virginia, I don't believe. They're not D1 schools, but, uh, well, West Virginia is its own state. This is a fair point. Uh, See, we made, this mistake has been made on the program before. Not to be not to be not confused to be with regular with Virginia. Regular Virginia. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness, I can't believe. What if there, is there a West Virginia University in Virginia that's in Western Virginia? I don't believe so. Do you want me to look it up? No, I don't. This is very bad, very bad content. Western Virginia University, but in Virginia. I mean, there's no way this is actually a school. 
This is just elite electric stuff. No, it's not a school. Okay, cool. Good to know. It is the Mountaineers. Good to know. Um, Yeah, but we're very excited for the Horizon League tournament, if you can't tell. Uh, A league that has no wins against ranked opponents, um, but has surprisingly, like if we're talking about, I just said for the the A-10, only two teams have played 20 games. Just about everybody in the Horizon League has played 20 games. Keeping their noses clean. So shout out avoiding COVID for the Horizon League. Um, there we go. That's my. That's one of my scholarships. Okay, what do you got? I, I wanted to give a scholarship to FCS football being played. Yes. But specifically Tarleton State. Yes. Who played New Mexico State, the only team from the FBS to play in the spring. Tarleton State playing their first game in program history at the FCS level. I know you're looking at the score. If you weren't looking at the score, what would you have guessed the score to be? I would have guessed it to be 43-17 because I saw the same tweet you saw last Yeah, night. cool. So, the Tarleton State <laughs> be the only team in the FBS that's playing in the spring. A new program at the FCS level. So, these teams are pr- practically separated by two levels of college football. This was almost like New Mexico State losing to a Division two football team. And they got beat 43-17. to Incredible. Incredible stuff. I don't even know what Tarleton State's called. What is their mascot? The Texans. That's the best Texans football team. Uh, most successful it. one that's happening right now. I mean, not in so much turmoil. Um, you got any sanctions? I've got one sanction. Coach O's... Uh, no, continue. Sorry. Coach O's son? Apparently he plays at McNeese State, which was a headline on the Tarleton State uh, ESPN page. So there you go. Wow. That scholarship to Coach O's son, Cody. He scored a double OT winner touchdown. Um, My sanction goes to Minnesota, not because they're playing poorly, uh, but because we hate to see um, repping repping Gabe's across the country. Gabe Kausher broke his finger. He's out for a month. Tough scene. So he's probably not going to play another game this year. Very disappointing. Tough scene. Uh, scholarship. I don't know if this goes to the University of Florida for getting this guy there <laughs> or if it goes to this guy for being who he is. But scholarship to Desmond Watson, who is a defensive tackle at the University of Florida. He's a freshman out of Sefner, Florida. He weighs 432 pounds. 247 says 380. 247 is lying. Florida says 432. Florida also says that he came in at 440 pounds and lost weight. Doesn't look that bad. That's a menacing human being. He's only six foot five. That is a chonk they boy. Really a do big listen. chungus. And he wears a number 27. And it's 21, incredible. 21. 21, I apologize. Prime. Like Deion Sanders. So. His his Instagram is 21 answers. There you go. Free clout. Come on the program. Let's talk about how big you are. Jeez. Built different. I mean, 247 shortchanging him 50 pounds is nuts. He's a big boy. He's massive. Massive guy. Bigger than Mountain Cody. What's bigger than a mountain? Man. You're just on his Instagram just remarking right now. That's what's happening. I'm fascinated by the fact that his... I'm fascinated by the fact that his Instagram handle is 21 answers and his Twitter is just Desmond Watson 12. Was 21 answers taken, taken on Twitter? Do we, want to we don't need to go on this deep dive. The people do not care about this game. I mean, you. Yeah, I guess it was taken by Pisco D'Angelo. I don't know. That's stuff. 
Shout out Desmond Watson for uh, being big. Being big. Um, that's about all we have for this week. Maybe by Thursday we'll have a Horizon League tournament update. I don't even know what. Maybe day. we'll get Nick Hodel to deliver it. Maybe we might have to have him call in and break down the uh, right state. Cleveland State situation um, and tell us why they're the best conference in terms of avoiding COVID all year um, but yeah shout out the Horizon League shout out UConn shout out James Booknight for being back making Peyton happy again um, we've got so many great games this week check out our Twitter for more content we have video content now live streams follow us things are happening follow us at heatcheck underscore show like rate review subscribe anywhere you get your podcast thanks for listening we'll see you Thursday Sunday or Monday, you know that we flex. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. to the top of the top of this. You can never reach these hoes. in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high so you know Aye. I had to run it back. Blazers are bald and we running like a running back. Gabe, bro, I try so you know Aye. we having fun with that. Turn you in the so you know Aye. it ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.